What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I have healed. I have healed my heart after last week's NBA draft lottery. And I am back for another Tuesday episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Armand Lee, and we've got an amazing show lined up for you guys this week. Friend of the program, Miss Monica McNutt, is stopping by, making a return to the show. We haven't talked to her in a long time. So she's going to stop by to break down the NBA playoffs and try to console me after my beloved New York Knicks missed out on Zion Williamson. All that plus is Danny Ferry the right man for the job in D.C.? All that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First Yeah, when you hear the melodic sounds of Nelly, you know a hot take is coming. But this week, I, again, I have a hard time trying to decide if my takes are really hard or not because I genuinely believe in what I'm saying. So this isn't like I'm on some Skip Bayless joint just throwing stuff out there. I genuinely believe this. But oftentimes, the things I really believe, everybody else thinks I'm crazy for so we're going to run it back with this one to find out if this is a hot take. Because I've talked about Deontay Wilder ad nauseum on this show when I've been uh, fortunate enough to be a guest on other people's podcasts or radio shows. I love boxing. You guys who've listened to this show for any significant amount of time know that. So this weekend, Deontay Wilder fights Dominic Brazil. And everybody, look, let me not even do it like that. I will not take anything away from the knockout Deontay Wilder put forth. Deontay Wilder may be the most fun fighter to watch, which is tricky because no one knows how good he is. And the thing with Deontay Wilder, he he brings out so many casual fans of the sport. And, it, and honestly, it's not even really that he brings out that many of them because he can't sell out any arena. He's an American fighter. The tickets to that fight was very cheap. And he's a he has a belt. And he can't sell out an arena. Can't do it to save his life. So it's not that he brings so many new fans to the sport of boxing. But the people that he does bring in, they're just so loud. And there's nothing worse than being loud and wrong. Trust me. Anybody who's ever heard if seven years ago who heard me talk about Bradley Bill, I can attest loud and wrong is not the combination that you want. But when Deontay Wilder fights because he's so exciting and you can you basically know that somebody's going to get knocked down. I want to say what he's 41 0 and 1 with 40 knockouts. It's nuts. Right. The guy's got the best punch in the sport. His right hand is amazing. But that lends one to wonder why he continues to fight guys who cannot box and they always want to exchange. Dominic Brazil is not a great fighter at all. He clearly can't box. We saw that. And in the in the knockout that we all were raving about on Saturday, he walks up to him with his, his left down. Deontay Wilder has the best punch in his sport, and that's the right hand. 
Why on earth would you want to exchange with him, number one? But number two, why would you want to walk into a punch, a puncher with your left, your lead guard to the best punch in the sport? Why would you bring it down? So many people, and look, I love boxing, and I'm, I promise you, I'm not trying to be the boxing snob. I promise you I'm not. But this really weighed on me all weekend long because people went crazy. Deontay Wilder's the best. Oh, my God. Deontay Wilder's the best boxer. And it, it's not the, the boxing fans, not the people who watch the sport all the time. It's the people who just, for whatever reason, want to watch Wilder. And I get it. He's exciting. He knocks people out. But did you guys know that Anthony Joshua knocked out Dominic Brazil like five years ago? Because when he did it, it wasn't this big fuss. And there's so many people who think that because he knocked out Dominic Brazil, he's somehow this great fighter. The same way happened when he knocked out Stavern. It's like, dog, at some point, bro, you got to fight somebody worth a damn. You got to fight somebody worth a damn. Quick question. Name the legit, name the opponents that Deontay Wilder has beaten who are worth a damn. Name me the opponents who he has beaten that are legit fighters. That you're like, okay, you know what? That's a good one. I'll wait and I'll give you Luis Ortiz. That's the one. Remember, he did not beat Tyson Fury. In fact, I think even though Fury got dropped twice once in the 12th round, I still had Fury winning that fight. And the fact that it was a draw, think about this. Tyson Fury had fought twice in three years. He had one tune-up fight before he fought Deontay Wilder. And he got knocked down twice and it was a draw. Think about that. That's four points. And he still couldn't win. And Fury, I bring up Fury because Fury is the only boxer that Wilder has ever gotten the ring against. He's the only boxer. All these guys that Deontay Wilder gets in the ring with want to fight. They're just brawlers. They want to exchange. And you're not going to exchange with Wilder and come out on top. We've seen that now. And the crazy thing is Fury gave everybody a blueprint on how to beat Wilder. You hit him a few times and you move. Stick and move. Combination, jab, jab, combo, get out of there. And Wilder got frustrated. The problem was that Fury got cute in the 12th round when everybody knew that he was up on the cards. If you rewatch the knockdown from the 12th round in the Wilder Fury fight, Fury taps Wilder two, three times, then gets away, but then he puts his hands down and stays in front of Wilder. He literally deviated from the entire plan in the last round in a, in a, in a fight that was won. He got cute and he paid the price. In fact, he's lucky he didn't get knocked out. I am not hating Deontay Wilder. I have a, I have found new appreciation for Deontay Wilder, in fact, to be completely honest with you. Wilder's got a chin that I did not expect. Wilder has been touched by Ortiz. He got touched by Brazil on Saturday. And he always pushes through. But notice, he never fights anybody who goes to the body. The only fighter he ever fought to really string his punches along was Fury, and Fury had him dead to rights. So why is Deontay Wilder's victory over Dominic Brazil looked upon as, hey, this is the crowning achievement? 
Brazil is nobody. Everybody keeps on talking about, yo, man, Anthony Joshua's ducking Deontay Wilder. We've talked about this for years on this show. This is a perfect he said, she said. Look, Wilder has proposed fight offers to AJ. AJ, AJ says he has proposed fight offers to Wilder. What we do know for a fact, we know this for a fact. We have seen the facts. We saw it, and we have heard Deontay Wilder talk about it. Anthony Joshua, Eddie Hearn, and the Zone sent a three-fight offer worth $100 million over to Deontay Wilder. Three fights. There are no three fights that Deontay Wilder can put together in his past or in his future that do not involve Anthony Joshua that would equal $100 million. He had a three-fight offer. He had to fight Dillian White and then two fights versus Anthony Joshua. He turned it down. How many fighters has Deontay Wilder fought? Forget, forget beaten. How many fighters has Deontay Wilder fought that's better than Dillian White? Tyson Fury. That's the only one I would say for sure. Because I think if White fought Ortiz, White would win. But I think it's a toss-up, right? So the only one that we know for sure is better than Dillian White is Luis Ortiz. Or, I'm sorry, Tyson Fury. That's the only one. Tyson Fury, he's the lineal champion because he beat Vladimir Klitschko. He was the guy to beat the champion. He had to lose the belt because of his drug problems. And again, he went on a three-year sabbatical. But he got in the ring with Vlad, and he beat Vlad. It was a boxing clinic. Vlad couldn't touch him. Now, we know Fury does not have the power to do any damage to Vlad, but he outboxed him the same way he outboxed Wilder. But again, he wasn't coming off a three-year layoff. He was in his best. He was in relatively good shape for Tyson Fury, but he wasn't rusty. And he was disciplined, unlike what he was versus Wilder. Anthony Joshua stopped Vladimir Klitschko. In one of the best fights, the fight of the year, I guess two years ago it was, it was an amazing fight. If you saw it, we all remember how great the atmosphere was. They sold out Wembley Stadium. I'm going to put a pin in that because we're going to go back to that. But Anthony Joshua got in the ring with the guy, the man. Vladimir Klitschko. And not only did he beat him like Tyson Fury did, he stopped him. Put him on the canvas multiple times. Ref called the fight TKO. Ask yourself this question. How come Deontay Wilder didn't fight Vlad? I've been asking this for years now. Because everybody keeps telling me, oh man, it's not Wilder's fault he doesn't fight anybody. Well, then I ask, how come he never fought Vlad? Vlad wanted to fight Wilder for years. Vlad wanted to come to America and state his claim. I forget the, the actress's name, the lady's name. He's married to an American actress. He wanted to fight Deontay Wilder in America. Wilder did not want those problems. Why? Why didn't Deontay Wilder fight Dillian White? Why is he fighting? Again, look at the dudes he fought outside of Tyson Fury and Luis Ortiz. Look at the most recent fights from Deontay Wilder. Why are you fighting Dominic Brazil? Why are you fighting Stavern? Why are you fighting Chris Ariola? Why are you fighting these guys? Why are you not fighting the Takams? Why are you not fighting the Whites? 
Why are you not fighting the Parkers? I've never been more certain that Anthony Joshua beats Deontay Wilder than I am now. And the only way that I can foresee Wilder beating AJ, and look, when you've got the best punch in the sport, you always have a chance. But the only way that AJ loses to Wilder is if he's not disciplined. Is if he does what Wild not what, what, what if he does what Fury did in the twelfth round. And I mentioned Joseph Parker because the moment AJ fought Parker, I was like, okay, he gets it. Up until that point, he was always looking for the knockout. And because he was always looking for the knockout, he got himself put in bad situations. If you remember the Klitschko fight, AJ got put down on the canvas because he was looking for the knockout, got tired, and Klitschko hit him with the hammer. Now, AJ showed the heart of a champion, right? He got up, and he kept on fighting, and he ultimately won. But in the Parker fight, he showed discipline, and he actually boxed. He worked the jab, went to the body. Parker was ready for the uppercut, and he was planning, and he was baiting AJ to throw the uppercut because Parker was ready to hit him. But AJ was disciplined, and he didn't allow it to happen, and he won on the cards. And everybody was like, oh, this is disappointing. AJ couldn't knock out Joseph Parker. Joseph Parker is a hell of a boxer. He outboxed the boxer. When was the last time Deontay Wilder outboxed anyone? And this is why I am certain that Anthony Joshua beats Wilder. If it's not, it, I don't think it will be a knockout. If it is, it's going to be the uppercut because Wilder is so reckless with that. Again, he, he just always comes in with his hands down. But it doesn't matter because he does not fight disciplined fighters who box and will make you pay for making mistakes. Anthony Joshua throws the jab. The only fighter that Wilder has seen who throws a consistent jab was Fury. Anthony Joshua has more power than Tyson Fury. Anthony Joshua has the longer reach than Tyson Fury. And Anthony Joshua can put punches together, not as good as Tyson Fury, but he can do it better than anyone else that Wilder has fought. We got to stop this stuff, man, because, yes, Deontay Wilder is exciting. Yes, he's an amazing story. And yes, I enjoy Deontay Wilder. I promise you guys, if you were to rewind and go back into history, I was a huge Deontay Wilder fan. But my problem with Wilder is he hasn't beaten anybody, man. And it's hard for me to know how good you are if you don't ever get in there with anybody. You only beat one dude. You got 41 victories and you only beat one guy worth a damn. How? How is this possible? How come you didn't want to fight Vlad, bro? How come you don't want to fight Dillian? How come you don't want to fight Parker? Dog, I'm going to put it to you this. Put it to you this way. All weekend long, I've heard people say, man, the heavyweight division is only a three-man race. Only a three-man division between Wilder, Fury, and Anthony Joshua. Hello? Uh, I don't know about y'all. But Usyk, Olizana Usyk, I think could beat all three of them. Let's not act like he's not nice. Let's not sleep on him. I imagine that that's probably going to be the next fight for Anthony Joshua because I don't think Deontay Wilder wants to fight Anthony Joshua right now. I, I honestly don't think he wants to. 
Deontay Wilder is talking about he wants a hundred million dollar purse to fight Anthony Joshua. When they just offered you a hundred million dollars for three fights, two of which versus AJ. I don't understand the logic. Luis Ortiz got offered $7 million to fight Anthony Joshua. He turned it down. He's never had a purse bigger than $1 million. And he's going to run it back with Deontay Wilder. Y'all got to make it make sense to me, bro. Y'all got to make it make sense to me. One guy consistently fights top heavyweights. You sick as top 10 pound for pound. Slim. Who has Deontay Wilder beat? Answer that one question. Just one question I have for y'all. And damn it, I know there's a lot of Wilder fans out there. I get called a hater all the time. Let me reiterate. I like Deontay Wilder. He's fun. He's exciting. He is good for the sport. And he makes those Saturday nights when he fights, he makes them fun. It is event fight fighting right it is event television watching but bro and look again not to sound like the boxing snob not to sound like the boxing snob i like the new fans i like people who who love the big time fights the way i love the fights right it's cool man we're welcoming as a boxing community but slim y'all gotta stop with the hyperbole Deontay Wilder is no better than he was three weeks ago. Him knocking out Dominic Brazil does not change my mind or anybody's mind who understands the sport. And if you want to understand the sport of boxing, if you don't, that's cool. Just want to watch it when it's a big fight and see some big dudes get laid or knocked out. I get that. Bong, fast food, right? You don't want that much. Cool. I have no problem. But if you ever do want to understand the sport, what you saw Saturday night does not move the needle one bit. Because Deontay Wilder will always have lightning bolts in his gloves. But can he box? Can he box? And if he can, you then must have to, you must ask yourself, why does he choose not to ever box anyone worth a damn? Wilder fans, man. Wilder High, Deontay Wilder, Bomb Squad, whatever the hell y'all want to call yourselves, man. Hit me up. Send the hate mail to me, bro. Actually, don't send me hate mail, man. But I know y'all want to hit me up calling me a hater, saying that, you know what I'm saying, that I'm riding with AJ and all the other superlatives y'all say, all the stuff, whatever. I've heard it all before, but I want to hear it again. Hit me up, interact with me on boxing or any topic that you hear me discuss on the Quarterly Report at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. That's quarterly spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, -E, report at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at me. At Quarterly Show, that's on Twitter, Quarterly, spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. -E. All right, man, I usually don't start the show with boxing, but, man, y'all know I love the sweet science, and it was a hell of a weekend. But it also was another great weekend for sports for another reason, on the hardwood. And that's where we go for our second quarter this week. Second quarter. I was tempted to use this as my hot take this week, but I actually think more people will agree. And it's nuts because I don't know how many people would have felt this way at the beginning of the season. I've made, remained consistent when it came to Kawhi Leonard. I thought the Raptors were brilliant for going all in to get Kawhi. Because in reality, I don't think they really gave up that much. I'm not a big DeMar DeRozan fan. I know a lot of you guys swear by PPG. 
Y'all heard my cousin not too long ago told me told y'all that DeMar DeRozan was an all-star. I told you he wasn't. I told you he wasn't that good. He wasn't that nice. He's a fine player. He's a fine NBA player, right? He's not a great player, and he absolutely is not elite. And Kawhi Leonard is every bit of an elite superstar that you can have in this league. And even if, even knowing that Kawhi Leonard may very well leave after this season is over, we knew it the moment he got traded. In fact, the moment he got traded, everybody was like, yo, he's not staying in Toronto. And I told you guys, this time, this time about last year, I was like, how much does one championship, how much does one championship run mean to you? Depending on your fan base, your fandom, it could mean the world. It may not mean a damn thing. If you are a Laker fan, if you are a Celtics fan, if you are a Warriors fan now, right? Getting to the conference championship, getting to the NBA finals, or even winning a championship, it probably doesn't mean as much as it would to someone like myself, a Knicks fan or Wizards fans. That Cavaliers team that won a few years ago, that meant the world to them. And I would imagine the Raptors fans feel the same way. One championship for Toronto, I can only imagine. They made a documentary over Vince Carter. The Carter Effect, if you guys have seen it on Netflix. I think it was like a LeBron James production. And he talked about how much just Vince Carter, his presence in Toronto did for not just basketball in the city, but basketball in that entire country. Like Vince Carter changed the trajectory of basketball in Canada. And that's something that cannot be overlooked. So one championship run, forget a title, but just a championship run would mean the world to the Raptors. Case in point, two weeks ago, Kawhi Leonard shot against Philadelphia, game seven to eliminate the Sixers. How much, just think to yourself, how or what that one moment is probably doing or did do to a generation of Canadian adolescents, right? Last week, I told you guys, man, John Stark's dunk and LJ's four-point play. We ain't winning title those two years. Hell, we only went to a finals in one of those years. And we got our brakes beat off in five games by the Spurs. But those two moments have stuck with me through two decades worth of just trash basketball. I still love the Knicks part, partly because of those moments. That is what shaped my fandom. If I was not a fan of the New York Knicks, I would not be doing this podcast right now because I'm not a fan of any other team. That's the crazy thing, but that's how we work as humans, man. The moments carve little niches in our minds and our memories and our hearts, and we carry them forever, as long as we can, I should say. And Raptors fans, I dog, they put up a mural. Of that one shot already in Toronto, Kawhi Leonard may leave after whenever the Raptors get eliminated or if they were to go on and win the championship. Kawhi Leonard may leave, but it was 100% worth it. It was worth it at the time. It's worth it now. I've never wavered on that approach. I've never wavered on that thought, on that theory, that type of way, that, that type of thinking. I've always felt that not only the Raptors, 
I was surprised that every team wasn't sending their best offers to the Spurs. Kawhi Leonard's one of the best players in the league, and I think people forgot. Shout out to Roy Jones Jr., man. Y'all must have forgot. I don't know how y'all forgot. And this goes back to something I talked about in the past, too. I'm convinced some of y'all Bama's just don't watch basketball, bro. Y'all, you, you can't come up with the takes that y'all say on a regular basis. Regularly saying dumb stuff and watch the same thing that I watch. Y'all, it just can't happen. It cannot happen. It, I, will, I refuse to believe it. No, sir. I think some of y'all just faking out there. Y'all see people talk about it. Y'all on Twitter. Y'all want to jump in. NBA Twitter, bong bong. You hear your homeboys at the barbershop. It sound cool. Y'all play 2K19. I give you that. Y'all play the video games, but y'all can't be watching basketball. There's no way you can watch basketball and think that Kawhi Leonard wasn't worth every single penny that the Raptors gave up for him. There's no way you're watching basketball and not believing that Kawhi Leonard was a top three to five player. There's no way you're watching basketball and think that your team shouldn't have traded for Kawhi Leonard. Again, unless you're the Celtics or the Lakers, and the Lakers should have damn sure did it. There's no way I can believe that you watch this game and have any of those thoughts because Kawhi has been real. And it's been clear to see. Clean that joint with Windex, brother. It doesn't need it. It's clear, man. The birds are coming into the window, killing themselves because it's that clear. Everybody can see it. Kawhi been a monster. And if you are just now understanding or appreciating his game, Slim, it's because you don't watch. The Toronto Raptors have just kind of fell apart as these playoffs have continued. And it's just been Kawhi. I don't want to say just been Kawhi, but you guys get what I'm saying. Kawhi has been the one steady calming force throughout it all. Kyle Lowry has his games where he does his thing and sometimes he plays really well. Kyle Lowry has been Kyle Lowry. You know what you're getting. And you know the only thing that you know for certain is that anything is possible. Serge has been in and out. Marcus Saul has aged. Van Vliet acts like he can't play. Norman Paul had the game of his life in game three the other night. But the fact remains, Kawhi brings it every single night. He could be hurt. He's not complaining. And the, if you are a Raptors fan, even if you only have him for a few more games, man, how fun has this year been? As a team who hasn't been to the conference championship since the year 2000, I am so envious of the Toronto Raptors because it looks so fun. It just feels so much fun. And I can only imagine what this one year, this one run, that one shot, these, these handful of moments that Kawhi Leonard has put together for the Raptors faithful. I can only imagine what it is going to do for the next generation of basketball fans, not only in Toronto, but in Canada. Kawhi Leonard is an absolute superstar. One of the game's best. Max Kellerman, people tried to get him out the paint a few weeks back because he said that Kawhi was better than Kobe. <laughs> I'm, the only reason I'm not saying that is because of longevity. Kobe put in years. He earned his stripes. But Kawhi is on, he's on his way. Let's just put it like that. If he can put... Fourth, another 10 years of playing like this? Oh, it's not even a, it's, it's not even a conversation. 
But Kawhi Leonard, even if he goes to the Clippers, even if he never comes back to Toronto, even if they lose to the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference Championship, oh my goodness, it still was the best trade that you could have made this year. It was a trade that not only got you rid of a bad contract, but it made you a legit contender. The laughing, the, the memes in LeBronto and all that stuff, all that kind of dismissing of the Toronto Raptors, it's gone. Who's talking about Toronto that way anymore? Who, who is worried about choking in the playoffs? I'm sure if you're a Raptors fan, it worries you a bit. But you know what makes you gotta what's gotta make you feel a little bit more comfortable, knowing that you got number two there. I know you feel way better with Kawhi taking the game winning shot than you do with Kyle Lowry, or Demar Derozan, or Jakob Pertl. Shout out to Masai Jerry, man. Good. I still can't believe that he got one of the best players in the world, even if only for a year, for a washed up Demar Derozan and Jakob Pertl. My goodness gracious, bro. All right, guys, you heard the horn. That means it is halftime. First, before we get to halftime, I want to go through some house cleaning topics. Again, make sure you email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at me at quarterly show. And if you don't mind, head on over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever else you listen to podcasts and leave a review. Give me five stars. Leave me a review. Let me let your friends let the whole world know why you love the Quarterly Report podcast and why it's one of the best podcasts in the world. In my opinion, my humble opinion, the best sports podcast out. But, you know, I'm slightly biased. So I want to hear from you. Where do you guys think? What do you guys think of the show? What do you like about it? What do you want to hear more about? Right. This is your opportunity to help produce the show, man. Interact with me and let your friends know why our pod is among the best out there. All right, guys, halftime is here. And, man, y'all know, I love NBA Twitter. It's fun. It's amazing. I talked about it in this last uh, quarter. Although you guys are passionate, although you guys say you love basketball, man, I really don't believe y'all watch it. Not just because of how you guys talked about Kawhi Leonard or Rudy Gobert or Nikola Jokic, but some of the trade requests that you guys make online. You know, I love playoff basketball, but I also love the NBA offseason, particularly this year, upcoming offseason. But there's a lot of movement in the NBA when the playing is done. And a lot of people this year are currently projecting certain moves, whether players they want to get or players that are on their team now that they are asking for in a return. So this halftime is about the wild, wild west the wild minds of NBA fans and how just out of touch they are with some trade requests. Take a listen. Yeah, man, it was a rough year to be a Lakers fan. Hashtag fuck Rob Linka. But the NBA needs the Lakers, man. They need them to be good, and we're going to bounce back. You saw we already got the number four pick. So now we're going to trade the fourth pick and Isaac Bonga with Josh Hart to the Wizards for Bradley Bill in number nine, okay? And then we can trade Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma and a future second-round pick for Anthony Davis. And then we'll be right back there, man. We'll have Lonzo, Bradley Bill, LeBron, and then 
Anthony Davis, and then we're going to win all these chips after this, man. I promise you, we're bouncing back. Meanwhile... Yo, Slim, can you imagine the Lakers even thinking about trading for Bradley Bill? And we're not going to trade Bradley Bill for their poo-poo platter. For, for anybody to get Bradley Bill, you're going to have to be... You're going to have to give us the Godfather offer, bro. Slim, you're going to have to give us four first-round picks. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Robert Williams, and trade us Brad Stevens for Bradley Bill. Are you serious? In Boston. Can you imagine thinking that we're going to trade all that for Bradley Bill? What's going to happen is we're going to trade our second-round pick in Terry Rozier for Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday. In the Big Easy. Wow, whoa, day. what are you talking about? Anthony Davis is going to be traded to Golden State for Klay Thompson, Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, and a first-round pick. That's what we're going to end. That's what we're going to end up getting for Anthony Davis. And then we're going to have Zion, Klay, Dre, Iggy, and KD. Super team, Big Easy style. Yo, NBA fans are nuts. It doesn't matter. Like I, I used to just think it was Celtics fans, right? Because they are they they are accustomed to winning the insane trade, right? We all remember KG for Al Jefferson and the Pips. Like that was an actual trade that really happened. So if you're a Celtic fan, I shot you bail because you're used to always getting over. So when Celtics fans would always say Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier for a superstar, I was just be like, man, whatever. Y'all just being Celtics fans. Y'all don't know any better. Y'all don't live in the real world. But now, everybody lost their damn mind. Everybody. Wizards fans, I'm on the timeline, and I'm saying, yo, the Knicks could trade for Bradley Beal. They'll give us number four, Knox, and, Frank, and, and Mitchell Robinson. And I'm thinking to myself, hold on, bro. I'm not the person... To, to talk about Bradley Bill, as you all know. But I'll be damned if the Knicks give up all that for some Bradley Bill, bro. The, the hate would come out of me something serious. There's no way. If the Knicks are talking about giving up four Knox, Dennis Smith, and, and, and Mitch for Anthony Davis, how the hell is Bradley Bill just a Dennis Smith Jr. away from Anthony? That, like, it doesn't make any sense, but it's not just Wizards fans. Hell, I got Knicks fans friends who try to get over on Anthony Davis. Like, yo, we could trade Frank Nilakina number four and Dennis Smith Jr. for Anthony Davis. And I'm like, bro, y'all got to stop. If it's too good for your team, it ain't happening. Unless Kevin McHale's on the opposing side. Bro, every NBA fan is nuts when it comes to trying to talk trades. Every last one of them. Lakers. Pelicans, Celtics, Knicks, Nets, Thunder. It don't matter. All these Bamas are nuts, bro. But the crazy thing is, the best GMs, the best GMs, they get over. Masai got over. <laughs> he got over He got over three times. He got over on the Knicks twice. Matter of fact, Masai Ujiri really needs to write a thank you letter to the Knicks. Because he got over on us. We made him the legend that he is today. I'm going to try not to remember 
the Carmelo Anthony trade or the Andrea Bargnani trade. So in order for me to calm down and get my composure, we're going to welcome our guest this week, friend of the program, superstar, Miss Monica McNutt. Joining me this week, one of my favorite guests, but now I'm talking about superstar treatment. You've seen her on FS1, the ESPN Network's, msg now and she's the host of her very own podcast buckets boards and blocks part of the pure hoops media team the one the only miss monica mcnutt monica thank you so much for joining me this week on the quarterly report um thanks for having me armand and you play too much it's not that deep nah nah it is it is you can tell that you're not used to being modest because you don't do it well but uh <laughs> but again you guys super dope monica all over the place, really doing some huge things. Again, part of the MSG family now. I mean, so we talking James Dolan writing out checks. So you know what time it is. Obviously, I'm a Nick fan, and that's where we're going to start. It was a rough week for your boy last week. Uh, actually, I got a bone to pick with you. Before you become, you know, part of the family of of the Knicks, part of Knicks Nation, being chauffeured around. G5, Jets, you know, Jets setting the whole nine. It was all lined up. The Knicks were going to get Zion, and this offseason was going to be fantastic. Not only do we not get Zion, Monica, we actually get the third overall pick. I was heartbroken last week watching the lottery. As someone who has finally embraced the beautiful colors of orange and blue, I'm curious your thoughts on not only missing out on Zion Williamson, but the Knicks falling to third and their options. So I will admit that this was the first time that I think I was truly invested in the lottery. Not only do I happen to embrace the <laughs> team of New York now, it is also directly tied to opportunities in my career. So that's a different type of level of loyalty. Um, but I think in talking with the team, um, MSG 150, Alan Hahn, those guys, and even this week at the combine, I kind of, as I look, I feel like the Knicks are in a good spot. Now, Zion obviously is like 1A with an asterisk, with a star. Like, we have nothing to say because it's, it's a box office thing. Right. And I think you've heard someone like Stephen A. talk about how, again, it just kind of represents the Knicks missing out. But I think if you look at the past couple of years, um, you can kind of see, and I hate to steal from Philly, but you can kind of see the process taking hold. And I think that that part is a beautiful thing. Um this summer of free agency is obviously huge. I think trading the third pick for AD, in my mind, is probably worth it if AD is willing to sign a long-term deal. But right. you're essentially cleaning out the cupboard. And I know we were talking with um, Anthony Pooch, the producer at the MSG, while we were out at the Combine. And the buzz is that it will cost everything but Mitch and Trier. And then you end up with, like, enough to sign some veterans on the minimum, and you hope you land those two marquee free agents this summer. Right, right. AD, hypothetically, KD, Kyrie, boom. You're already going to Eastern Conference Finals, right? But I think we've seen in the NBA, particularly if KD, if there's more to this calf injury than we know right now, right. that injuries and health play a huge role in the story. I am not sold on trading the number three pick. Mm. I, I just I feel like New York is going to be a destination. They've put in the work. They've put the right people in the management positions in terms of Perry Mills, Fisdale. I think those are guys that people want to be around. And what I've gathered from MSG is that Dolan, to a degree, is stepping away from the basketball part, right? Like he doesn't want to be attached to this idea of 
of marquee free agents not wanting to join on his behalf right. because of his reputation. So I think you ride the process. I think if you get R.J. Barrett or if something happens where you're allowed, where you fall into John Morant, although we get into John Morant and then questions whether you get KD, I mean Kyrie, um, I think you continue to let the thing take shape. They've got like seven first-round picks over the next couple of years. I think it's like three years. Yeah. So I know I hate to say it, wait a little longer. Like, again, I'm new to this bandwagon, I'll admit. But I think you let it take shape, and then you have a team that's organically and truly yours. Look at where Philly is or Toronto is, right? They've mosh-poshed, they've mismatched these teams together, and, yeah, they've had more success than they had in the past. But here we are again, coming off season, wondering who's going to be able to stay and who has to go. So if you let it happen, not only are you building incredible camaraderie amongst those players and amongst this who has talked about wanting to change that culture and really establish a culture of winning, the city almost is more ingratiated because these are our guys, and we have a DMV chick, but I would imagine that, like, that means a little bit more in New York. Then again, y'all been waiting for a winner for a really, really long time. <laughs> Once again, guys, I'm joined by good people, Miss Monica McNutt. Make sure you follow her on Twitter at McNuttMonica. She is the host of the Buckets, Boards, and Blocks podcast on Pure Hoops Media. She's also a contributor to FS1 and MSG Networks, breaking down the NBA lottery draft and my New York Knicks. And we're going to stay here for a second. Um, I got to admit, man, listening to you just kind of talk just then gave me a sense of calm, right? It made me calm down a bit because last week I, it was nuts. It was really, really bad. Yeah, it was bad. I'm a, The moment that we got the third overall pick, I was like, bong, everybody can go for Anthony Davis outside of Mitch, right? And the more and more I started thinking about it, I'm like, yo, if we do end up getting or trying to trade for Anthony Davis, unfortunately, I do think we would have to part with Mitch. And that's not something that I'm ready to commit to. Also, factoring in, look, everybody knows what New York is aiming for this offseason. We've all heard the rumors. I'm not going to say any player's name in fear that I will jinx it. But if the dream scenario were to happen and the two guys come, the number one guy has a calf slash Achilles injury. The number two guy is hurt almost as much as he's healthy. And then if we were to trade for Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis has not had the clean bill of health as well. So if we were to do all of that, I worry that the window would be very short-lived because of the potential of not just injury, but catastrophic injury to the number one guy. So I am kind of inclined to be like, yo, let's ride it out with the young boys. We got so many picks, as you mentioned. We've got a lot of young talent who, if put in the right position, maybe they could contribute. And we would then have a natural fitting team that could theoretically live much longer than a three to four year window. But I'm not certain, man, because if AD comes to the Eastern Conference, I think he's going to wreck shop. And I would love to see him in orange or blue. I just don't know what to do, Monica. What What do you think is best? Do you honestly think the Knicks should turn down or look away from a chance of trading for Anthony Davis? Absolutely. Now, I, again, I am not going to act like the idea of an AD is not worth seriously considering mortgaging everything, right? Right. Um, and, again, if it's a long-term deal, then fine. I'm probably with it. But I, I really think that we're at a place in not only New York but in NBA culture – where why would KD not come? Where else is he going? We've right. seen him express 
But honestly, championships have not made him happy. We've seen the undertones that suggest he wants to be the man, no questions asked. He's got an agenda to prove. Where else could he go to prove it and truly make a name, right? Or beyond the name that's already established. And it's like the Warriors don't even need him this year. Right. Like the meme was when he was looking at the stat sheet post-game two, like he was looking at New York real estate. Absolutely. It seems timely. I also would argue that I don't know that you need Kyrie. I think if you get KD – and I know you're not mentioning names. I'm a big fan of Kimba. I almost wonder if Terry Rozier is a guy that will sort of embody what New York basketball is. God knows if things shuffle out and Ja ends up in town. Like, I just think the Knicks have options, and so that would probably be something that I would hope that fans would embrace as opposed to wallowing and not getting Zion. Um, I think you have options at three. You can at least have serious conversations. Should the Pelicans be interested in keeping those Duke boys together? That may be something that is very tantalizing. Mitchell Robinson is – a guy out of Louisiana. I really, really hope that they don't have to get rid of him because I think his ceiling is really, really high. He could be the next big thing in terms of that position um, in the league. But it's definitely something worth looking at. And, and we know, just like we talk about the Hampton Five, like for these guys, a lot of things get done away from the media. Right. From what I know, the potential free agents that we're looking at, like AD is a very well-liked guy. Who knows who he's talking to in terms of team, teaming up potentially. Um, I really think next season is going to be what Knicks fans are waiting for. I'm not 100% sure how it's going to shake out, but they've got options. Um, look at you, y'all. Hold it. Yo, that's why we got a dope friendship. I was feeling really, really bad, and then here you come off of whatever private jet, without a whatever red carpet that you was on, grace the podcast. I had to holler at your manager, schedule 10 minutes to holler at you, right? And here you come calmly talking me off the edge, about my beloved New York Knicks, man. That's why you a superstar, y'all. Once again, y'all enjoyed by my people, Monica McNutt. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at McNutt Monica. She is the host of the Buckets, Boards, and Blocks podcast from Pure Hoops Media. She's also a contributor for MSG, FS1. She does college basketball. I mean, she does everything basketball-related and other things, yo. Making another appearance on the quarterly report. So, Monica, this is going to be my final question to you. You know, I... All season long, we heard about the NBA ratings are down. The ratings are down. Everything's so gloom and droom, right? But I long since felt that the league did itself no favors by not getting the casual fan ready for life after LeBron. So much of this NBA season was just focused on LeBron that when he didn't play, people weren't not watching because they did not feel they needed to be interested or invested and this playoffs, this entire season, but the playoffs specifically, has been filled with great play, conference championship notwithstanding. Great play, great basketball, and like kind of star-making moments. We've had Nikola Jokic, Giannis, obviously, Kawhi Leonard, Damian Lillard, Kawhi Leonard, Damian Lillard, Joel Embiid, the list goes on and on. The future of this league is in great hands. And these playoffs have showcased just how amazing of a season that we've had. The best playoffs that I've seen in years. Give me your thoughts on how the playoffs have unfolded. And it seems at least right now that we are on the verge of a Milwaukee Golden State Finals. Who would you, I guess, give the nod, the edge to if those two teams were to meet in the finals? All right, so I'm going to stand true in what I have said since the playoffs began. I always felt like the Bucks really had a shot at shocking the world in terms of winning this whole thing. 
Right. Um, it was extremely rocky, and I remember wavering <laughs> very intensely game one versus the Celtics. But I think I'm back where I was, and I'll admit that they seem to be better than I thought they were. If they clean up this thing with the Raptors and five or less, then they're definitely better than I thought they were. I will say that as we were watching the Nuggets and the Blazers battle and then the Warriors take care of business, I remember <laughs> thinking the Western Conference Finals was going to be a letdown. Like, yeah. it's just going to be a letdown. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not surprised where we are. I am surprised in this idea. You heard Doris Burke talk after game three. Um, uh, she was talking to Scott Van Pelton. She talked about Blazers' spirit being broken. That part to me is a surprise, and now we're learning that Dave is playing with the separator ribs, and so that makes a difference. I think their fight has been a surprise, but I thought to some degree that we had seen the best of the series on the Western Conference and that the Blazers, or excuse me, the Warriors would show up and beat the Warriors. Didn't anticipate KD getting injured, injured, definitely was in New York, like hopped up out the bed when I saw him turn around. I was like, oh, God, please no. And, of course, that also is tied to the potential in New York. (laughs) I'm like, please, God, no. Um, But I think – as good as the Warriors are playing, I think the Blazers are not quite themselves because Dame is truly the engine for that team, and he is not well. I still think that the Warriors look more human than they have looked in a long time, and still I'm standing by. The Bucks have a real shot at this thing. And there you have it, guys. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at McNutMonica. She is the host of the Buckets, Boards, and Blocks podcast on Pure Hoops Media. She also is on the 26-minute podcast for Redskins for all you football fans out there. Contributor for MSG Networks, contributor for FS1, and everywhere else. So many titles. I don't have enough time to give her the right amount of accolades, but she is one of the best guests on the show. Monica, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. And if you jinx my Knicks and we end up with Chris Middleton and Kemba Walker this offseason, yo, it's going. It's, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk to you. For at least another two, three years. Whatever. You got the gist of it. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on, Armand. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We are one quarter away from a finished show. So without further ado, let's get it going with our final topic this week. Fourth quarter. The search for the Wizards' new general manager or president of basketball operations continues. Throughout the last few weeks, really, it seemed as if Tim Connolly from Denver It was basically his job to turn down, to refuse. And that's exactly what he did. Obviously, Connolly would have been an amazing choice. What he has done in Denver has been nothing short of fantastic. He understands the league. He understands dynamics. He understands contracts. Again, we talk about this a lot of times on this show. A lot of people thought the Jokic contract was nuts just like less than a year ago. Like that was a real discussion that a lot of people who now all of a sudden love Tim Connolly are using as one of his biggest attributes. And get, get, I'm not knocking it. I thought Connolly would have been an amazing hire. Obviously, there were some big names being tossed around. Masai Ujiri, in my opinion, is the best or second best general manager. I've already heaped praise on him in this very show. Connolly who obviously, like, Majeri was in Denver before he went to Toronto. Connolly picked up where Majeri left off in that entire front office, and they have continued. And, in fact, they've done better, right? Again, you draft drafting someone like Jokic in the second round just completely changes the game. And so often, I am one who looks at second-round picks. If you can identify talent 
And I'm not saying you got to get a Nikola Jokic or a DeAndre Jordan or a Manu Ginobili type player, right? You're not going to always get a superstar in the second round. But if you can get a solid contributor in the second round, I understand that you do have an eye for identifying talent. It's not all about the draft, just like it's not all about free agency. And it can't all be about, you know, analytics. There has to be a medium. You have In this day and age, the best run organizations are disciplined. They understand capital, draft capital, and their own players. They, under, they're, they understand their players' worth, which is why I'm very interested in seeing how Brooklyn handles this offseason. But there's another organization who has been disciplined, who has stayed true to their principles and slowly but surely. And look, things don't move that slow in the NBA. They really don't. We look back and say, man, it, it took them three. Like the Nets hadn't gone to the playoffs for what, four years in a row, five years in a row. And when you think about it, it didn't feel that long. Now, I'm not a Nets fan, so I'm sure it felt longer for them. Right. But ultimately, things move very quickly in the NBA. Right. The Heatles do not feel like it was that like five years ago. But it was. Things happen very quick. So you have to stick to your guns. You got to be principled. You got to be disciplined. And Tim Connolly would have been an amazing hire. But it didn't happen. So Monday morning, I sent what I thought was a very harmless tweet. And Lord, did the wrath of Wizards Twitter come down upon me. This is the tweet that I had once I found out that Tim Connolly turned down the job for the Washington Wizards general manager. Quote, I've long believed Danny Ferry would be the new Wiz GM. In terms of being capable, very good hire. I'll be very interested in how he's covered if they do hire him. That was it. That's all I tweeted. That was it. Not excusing what happened to him in Atlanta. Not making any excuses or trying to smooth over things that he has said. Obviously referring to the quote about Luau Deng. Talking about he's got a little African in him. About being lazy and being manipulative. Obviously not what you want to have your leader of your organization say. I don't think anybody really should be excusing that. And the dynamic of Danny Ferry coming to DC, I mean, it's it's in really interesting in a lot of ways because if you were to tell me, man, you know what? DC is a very diverse area. There's a if you're not from this area, or if you've never lived here, there's a large African population in this area many of whom are some of the biggest basketball fans in this area. There's already a disconnect between the community and the team. And for good reason, the team has not given them any type of consistent reason to be a fan. The one thing that they did well was to get rid of uh, Ernie Grunfeld. It just happened five years, six years, seven years, 10 years too late. They do it, yet they've been so slow at identifying who should be his successor that now many of the elite candidates are already off the table. They, it seems as if they went all in on Tim Connolly and that's not a, I'm, if that was the guy they wanted and they f sent out feelers, 
Go for the guy that you want. If you want someone, if you want something, go all in for it. I will never knock the Wizards for putting their chips on Tim Connolly. It felt like it was the right move. It, I thought it was going to happen. There was a lot of smoke there, a lot of steam, a lot of momentum. But you got to have a plan B. It's something that this team should know by now. Remember, they went all in on KD to DC. Their plan B was Al Horford. And after that, Yon Mahimi, Jason Smith, Andrew Nicholson. You got to have contingency plans in all facets of life. All of them. Don't, don't pussyfoot around, right? There's nothing wrong with going for your goal completely. But understand, if this option doesn't work, there got to be different paths to the same goal, but still different paths. So now, Rojas is gone. Trajan Langdon is gone. Connolly doesn't want the job. Masai probably is not leaving. So now we're left with Troy Weaver, Danny Ferry, and Shepard. Again, I'm just going by all the reports that I have read. That's not to say that another candidate could not appear or emerge, but this is what I've read, what I have heard, okay? I don't know much about Troy Weaver. I know he's a D.C. native. He's a guy who's got a lot of contacts, and for the last 11 years, he's been in Oklahoma City, okay? Because he's never run his own shop, I'm not going to hold moves against him, and I'm also not going to completely give him credit for the positive moves that happened. I don't know how much Troy Weaver played a part in getting Paul George. I don't know. I also don't know how much he played in training for Carmelo Anthony. Right? It would be unfair to him because of my ignorance on the situation to start dividing blame and giving out credit and praise. Right? I don't know. By all accounts, he seems to be one of the, the, the emerging stars of a young crop of general managers. I hope he gets a GM spot because a lot of brothers and sisters and people of color, period, young people of color, male, female, doesn't matter. Black, Latino, there doesn't seem to be a lot of opportunities in all major sports for them to get their own shine, right? Especially if you've never played in the league before. The NBA, far ahead of other sports, but still not, I don't think, where it needs to be. So I do hope Troy Weaver gets a job at some point. And if it's the Wizards job, I'll, I'll root for him. I hope he does well. I'm a root for anybody who gets this job because I like the Wizards. I, the Wizards are better for me. The league is better when the Wizards are compelling. Uh, I've got a lot of friends and family and loved ones who love this team. And over the years, I've, I've covered them for so long. I do have a, I share a, a part of myself that's like, yo, I do want them to succeed. And it's more fun, man. It's fun to go to the arena and the crowd is hype. It's fun to listen, like, to have the shows actually talk about basketball because so many of them don't. I want the Wizards to succeed. But I, fall, I, I find myself curious as to the, in terms of just his basketball acclimate and his resume, the the negative reaction toward Danny Ferry. Now, again, if you are saying what he said about Luau Deng, you just can't rock with it. And that's the reason why you don't want Danny Ferry. Or that's the reason why you don't like Danny Ferry. I get it. If you're saying it doesn't matter what he has done, 
those words, I'm through. I don't I don't want to tolerate it. I don't want to have to to root for someone like that or root for that. There are differing opinions about how um, incendiary his comments were. They were not his words. But again, I'll say this. If I'm reading something and they're not my words and I read something that's as absurd as those comments were, I'm like, hold on, what? There would have been some type of reaction, audible, not even just something where I frowned. I would have said something if those were not my words, which it has been found that they were not Danny Ferry's words. He was just reading a scouting report. I would have audibly said something to be like, oh, this is absurd. Like, what is this? With some exp expletives in there, right? But I would have said something. We all would have said something. Like, huh? Hold on, Joe. This is nuts. Something. You make some type of reaction. He read it so nonchalant that it's like it took us a while before we were like, oh, those weren't his words. It was a bit surprising because he read it so matter-of-factly. And I've seen some people defend, or not defend, I shouldn't say defend, but people try to casually dismiss the words. Like, oh, he didn't even say anything that bad. You know, all stereotypes don't have to be like, and first off, it wasn't like he was saying anything positive about an entire continent of people. Okay? He wasn't saying anything positive about Africans when he made that comment. But imagine this. Again, New York has a large Jewish population. Imagine if someone was caught on tape saying something about Jews, not the super, super awful things that people have historically said about Jews, but just the things that people would be like, eh, like Jews are cheap. Like, oh, he's, he's Jewish, so he's cheap. You understand how, how the backlash that that would have brought upon? I don't know if you anybody would be like, oh, man, he didn't say anything that bad. If we reframe, reframe and reshape, right, the, the specifics and the dynamics of this particular situation. We wouldn't do that. If he was talking about a player who was homosexual, it didn't say something completely out of line but made a stereotype about them. Oh my God, Joe, can you imagine? I mean, think about it. Just go down the list of some, right, demographics. And imagine if Danny Ferry or someone else made similar comments. Again, I'm not saying go to the, the all the way dial it up to 10 on the extreme level, right? But still, insensitive comments regardless. I never even knew that that was what people thought about Africans. I, every African I know is like one of the hardest working people that they work. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't even know how that was even a thing. I didn't even know that was a stereotype. But apparently, I live in a bubble. So I'm not ever going to tell people, yo, you shouldn't be mad at these comments. Dog, you said something stupid. Then once you do something stupid, other people are allowed to react how they feel comfortable. You lose that leverage. That was on you. Danny Ferry was dumb for his comments. Make no mistake, I am not excusing what Danny Ferry said. If you feel a certain way about it, bong. I have no issue with that. And to be quite frank, I worry that if Danny Ferry were to be hired by the Wizards because of the way the media landscape in this town is, 
that people would not press him out on those comments. There's such a disconnect. There's such a discrepancy between the actual people who live here, the community at large, particularly the basketball community, but the community at large and the people who represent them in the media. There is just such a disconnect, particularly when it comes to basketball. I believe that Danny Ferry would come in town and all the radio hosts and television hosts and most of the people who write for the large outlets would start talking about the matter. They would brush over the controversy, really just leave it to, all right, you lost your job, but now you're back. How does it feel? Do the whole, you know, reclamation project thing that we've all heard before countless numbers of times. There would not be, in my opinion, my fear is that people would not hold his feet to the fire and actually come to a real understanding of like, dog, how did this happen? Why did you feel comfortable reading that? Like hard questions that will give hard answers, but answers that people, this community clearly wants to hear because dog, after I tweeted that on Monday, Slim Bamas was coming at my neck. Like I was defending Danny Ferry. And all I said was from a resume perspective, he's a capable, very good hire. And I stand by that. So we need to separate these two. If we are talking about not wanting Danny Ferry because of his comments, I get it. But now there are these people that I'm seeing a lot of online, at least. And obviously I can't use that as any type of proper barometer. But there are a lot of people who act as if that I'm seeing that Danny Ferry is trash when it comes to leading a team. I don't understand how that can be the narrative. Again, if you don't like Danny Ferry because of his do out thing comments, I get it. There are also some rumblings that, you know what, he's a bit of a jerk. So if you don't want him like that, I get it. But the idea that he's not good at his job, I, I don't. I don't. I'm sorry. Look at that Atlanta team that he took over. Joe Johnson, awful contract. Josh Smith. Just had a just an awful team. Awful team. Team always went to the first round, always got eliminated. Just that was that was who the Hawks were for years. Larry Drew, Mike Woodson didn't matter. Danny Ferry gets there. And he signs Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap, who at the time had never been an all-star. He signs Paul Millsap to a two-year $19 million contract. I don't think we have to really spend too much time to say that that was a rousing success. He then signs Cal Corver at the time, never been an all-star, to a four-year, $24 million contract. J.J. Reddick just signed a two-year, $24 million contract like two years, like a year or two ago. Kyle Corver at that point in his career was much better than J.J. Reddick is at this point, and he made significantly less money. $6 million annually in the prime of his career. Again, at that time, Kyle Corver had never been an all-star. Damari Carroll signed a two-year, $5 million contract. Danny Ferry gave that out. Again, at the time, never been an all-star. He signed three players to well below market value. Three players who had never been an all-star, never sniffed an all-star appearance. Three players who, while he was the general manager, made the all-star team on those 
deals, those incredibly team-friendly deals en route to a 60-win season. I don't know how old everybody is who's listening to this podcast. I'm 36. When I tell you that the Atlanta Hawks win 60 games, won 60 games in a season, that to me is mind-boggling. That's nuts to me. Dominique never did it. Steve Smith never did it. The Kamei Matumbo never did it. 60 wins, and then they went to the Eastern Conference Championships with the team anchored by his signings. With the coach, Mike Budenholzer, already won Coach of the Year once, probably is going to win it again. Guess who gave Bud his first head coaching job? Take a wild guess. Oh, yeah, that's right. Danny Ferry. Raise your hand if you're happy with Scott Brooks. Scott Brooks probably has one year left. Probably. Guess what, guys? The new GM is going to have to hire a head coach. He's going to have to. It won't be this year, but it may very well be next season. Definitely in two. Don't you want to know? Don't you want to feel confident that, guess what, man? At least I have a GM who has hired one of the best coaches in the league before. He has already done it. Let's not take this for granted. Hiring the right coach is not the easiest thing in the world. Take a look around the league. Take a look around the league. How many coaches are you like, yo, you know what? He's a really good one. It's not that many. There are a lot of really good GMs, or I shouldn't say a lot, but there are a handful of really strong GM candidates, but their coaching hires, I don't know. I'm not confident about it. Don't take that for granted just because it's not going to be a move this offseason. So Danny Ferry signs three all-stars. Three, all, three players who had never been an all-star before to well below market value deals. Signs one of the best head coaches in the league. And was disciplined, as the word again, disciplined not to sign crazy long-term contracts. He got off of Joe Johnson and was frugal, was financially disciplined. The Wizards will not have money. That's the harsh reality of the situation. If you think the Wizards will at some point get money relatively soon, that means you feel that either A, they move John Wall, or A, they, or B, they move Bradley Bill. Because I'm at the point now that I'm pretty convinced Bradley Bill is going to make all NBA, and I'm fairly certain that he's going to get a Supermax contract, or they're going to trade him. It's going to be either or. That's where I'm at now. There is no way moving forward that you can see the Wizards having money if Bradley Bill stays in town. It's not going to happen. So they better find someone who understands value. They better get someone who knows the marketplace and can identify cheap talent. They better get someone who has a track record of identifying players who can contribute immediately and get signing them to contracts that the players will outperform while also knowing they're not willing to spend this much money on a player. You know, the people who don't like Danny Ferry just look at his draft record. And look, he hasn't drafted a superstar. Hasn't happened. Best first round draft pick he has is Dennis Schroeder, who is now a backup in Oklahoma City. 
So I'm not in the. I'm not going to rave about Danny Ferry's drafting. I don't think he's a great drafter. He hasn't shown the ability to be an amazing drafter. But we also got to stop acting like Danny Ferry is the worst drafter in the world. Again, I said it earlier. I like players who I, or GMs who can identify talent late in the draft. I don't believe Danny Ferry has ever drafted in the lottery. I want to say the highest draft pick that he has was 15. And I think that was Mike Scott. Or I think that was the guy he drafted at 15. Wasn't a great draft. Or Shooter, I'm sorry. Shooter was at 15. J.J. Hickson was a guy around 16, right? So he doesn't have the, the, the headlining draft pick. But some of the second-round picks he has are quite intriguing. Daniel Gibson was a second-round pick. Danny Green was still in the league contributing second-round pick. I don't Shannon Brown was a second round pick for Danny Ferry. You know, like when you can get someone in the second round, again, cheap labor, and they can have an eight to ten year NBA career, you've done what you've done your job. Now again, yeah, I wish that there were some more first-round hits, but there are not that many to choose from. It's not like Danny Ferry has a 10-year resume of first-round picks. He just doesn't. And again, I don't know if he's ever drafted in the lottery. I saw somebody online say, oh, man, at least Ernie drafted John and Brad. Well, yeah, John was the number one overall pick. Everybody would have drafted John Wall number one. And yeah, Bradley Bill went third in a draft in which the Hornets inexplicably draft Michael Kidd Gilchrist number two. You know, like, okay, sure. That, if, that's, if that's how you want to carry it. There are reasons not to like Danny Ferry. Legit reasons. I get it. But if you are a Wizard fan and you're dismissing the Atlanta Hawks 60 win season and their trip to the Eastern Conference Championship, bro, you better be 70. You better be 60 or 50. Because in the last 40 years, the Wizards haven't done a damn thing. The Hawks in one season achieved more than the Wizards have in 40 plus years. And I'm not saying this to be bragging. Like, I'm a Knicks fan. Y'all know my team is trash. You know what I'm saying? But I'm not out here trashing Danny Ferry's resume. Danny Ferry would have been the best general manager we've had in decades. And that goes for the Wizards too. That goes for a lot of teams. If you want to go with Troy Weaver over Ferry, I'm not knocking it. I just don't know what he's bringing to the table. Again, I hope Weaver gets a job and gets an opportunity to show the world what he has to offer. And I hope he succeeds. And if he comes to D.C., I'm going to be rooting for him. Make no mistake. But, y'all, I just don't understand from a resume perspective what it is about Ferry that y'all don't like. I don't get it. I also don't think people fully understand how tough of a task this job will be for Washington. I see people, you know, 
The same people who tell me Danny Ferry can't draft are the same people who think that John Wall is going to bounce back and be in a, 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 a top performer coming back from his Achilles injury. Real quick, this guy I know on, on Twitter that I follow, and again, we disagree, but it's civil. And I appreciate that because I do think disagreement is important, but it's how you carry it. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't be a dickhead if you disagree because then we can talk things out. But there's one guy who swears that Danny Ferry is not a good GM and all this other stuff. It's the same guy who thought that the Wizards would be better than the Sixers this year. And they would be right there with the Raptors. It's also the same guy who was like, hey, man, the reason why they weren't is because of injuries. But he's also the same guy who thought that John was going to bounce back. And four days after we have a back and forth on Twitter, guess what happens? John Wall ruptures his Achilles. Like, what's important is to keep a mental Rolodex about what people think. Because, again, some of y'all, I, I feel like y'all don't, y'all don't watch basketball. If you think that John, I hope that John Wall can be a useful player when he returns. But it would have been five years, five surgeries on his lower extremities in five seasons with a player whose game never truly developed. His game is completely predicated on athleticism and his court vision. I don't think it's fair to assume that John Wall's athleticism will ever be the same. So what exactly, what are we getting back? Because next year is the first year of the crazy contract. You've got three more years after next season, and he's going to miss most, if not all, of this upcoming season. Why would anyone think that John Wall will be someone that you can count on for solid basketball play moving forward? Again, I hope we can. I hope we can count on John. But am I banking on it? Hell no. And neither should you. But if you are find yourself in a discussion with someone who thought the Wizards would be peers of the Raptors and be better than the 76ers, if you find someone, yourself in a discussion with someone who thought that the Austin and Rivers trade was going to be smart. If you find yourself in a discussion with someone who thought that Nikola Jokic was not better than Devin Booker, and these same people didn't turn around and tell you, guess what? Danny Ferry can't draft. Danny Ferry won't be a good general manager, not because of his comments, but because of his resume. Oh, man. Oh, man. Wash your face and leave the conversation, bro. Don't even waste your time. Because, again, I'm certain that some of y'all Bama just don't watch the game. I'm positive. I know y'all don't read up. I know y'all don't listen. I, I know it. There's no way. There's no way. The Wizards, as an organization, need to figure it out. What is it that they are embarking on? I don't want to hear Ted talk about this three-step problem. No, no, no. Be real. I don't think that this job is going to be a quick fix unless they get super lucky and get like a, a Zion-type player next year, right? A number one pick with a, a clear-cut generational talent and with the top pick. That, not, that withstanding, it's going to be consistency. Day in, day out. The small victories. Winning inside the margins. That's what, it, that's what it's going to take to turn this around. And that's not going to happen overnight. And for me, 
I would feel better if we hired someone who has done it before. We'll see. The Wizards swung for the fences with Masai Jerry and Tim Connolly, and I applaud them for it. But now let's see if they can just get on base. All right, guys, that's the show this week. Thanks again to my guest, Miss Monica McNutt. Again, make sure you follow her on Twitter at McNuttMonica. Also, I want to thank each and every one of you all for bouncing back with me again for a second Tuesday podcast. Remember, guys, each and every Tuesday, we've moved from Thursday to Tuesday. And from this moment forward, we will continue to put out pods on Tuesdays each week. Again, head on over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and every other place that you listen to podcasts. Download, subscribe, and rate and review. Please rate and review. If you are too kind, leave me five stars and tell me, your friends, and the world why you love the Quarterly Report podcast. All right, guys, that's my time this week. Thank you so much for rocking with me, and I'll be back next Tuesday for another episode of the Quarterly Report.